0: You're watching Global BC.
1: This is Global News
2: Hour at 6.
1: Some major headaches for commuters in Vancouver during this evening's rush. Protesters, as you can see, are blocking East Broadway at Commercial. This is a live look at the scene right now from Global 1. That rally prompting TransLink to take some legal action to keep the protesters away from the SkyTrain platforms, but That is clearly having a major impact on traffic through a very heavily used corridor in Vancouver. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight, but as you can see, traffic is coming to a standstill at one of the busiest routes in the city. Our Grace Key is down at Commercial and Broadway on the ground. And uh, the situation there obviously doesn't look like it's changing. They are digging in.
3: Yeah, they've actually moved to Broadway and Clark right now, so this is the intersection of Broadway and Clark. You can see the group behind me here. They started moving, um, oh, about, say, 20 minutes or so ago, 20, 30 minutes ago from Broadway and Commercial, where they were originally at, and then started moving uh, east, just on Broadway, blocking the traffic along the way, and then finally coming to a stop here on Clark, where they've been now uh, for the, next, uh, several, for the uh, last several minutes. Just wanted to swing around as well, and you can see see the police presence, uh, I'd say about a block or so, block or two in either direction here along the intersection. Police have blocked off traffic and just uh, telling the uh, vehicles just to turn around there. So again, uh, their next plans is unclear right now. It looks like they're going to be staying here uh, for the next few minutes or so and then possibly making their way back. But as you mentioned earlier, TransLink did was granted a court injunction and that did uh, prevent people from blocking any of the Sky Trains. Now, that did not apply to the public's uh, streets here, the roadways. So obviously this has affected traffic and anyone taking the buses as well.
1: Grace, we had some information uh, just taking the temperature of people in a poll about who supports the protesters and doesn't. Have you had a chance to talk to anybody who's been impacted by it, any drivers or even pedestrians who've been blocked from going where they're supposed to be going?
3: Yeah, we did actually speak with some transit users. Obviously, Broadway and Commercial is a major hub there. A lot of people do get off of the Sky train and then hop onto the buses. So a lot of people were obviously a little confused when they got off, wasn't sure where to go. There were signs that were put up as well. You know, we got the usual mixed reactions. Some people saying they support people's right to protest and other people uh, not happy at all, thinking that it is definitely you know they're losing support possibly and that's you know it's affecting regular people now and trying to get where they're trying to go
1: all right looks like at least you know a hundred maybe a couple of hundred people down there we'll keep an eye on it grace we'll check in Mm -hmm. with you a little bit later on if they do decide to move from that location but right now at broadway and clark is where they are blocking traffic at uh, at that location a solidarity protest in alberta's capital turned sour today Even as a judge was issuing an injunction to remove a blockade of a CN rail line in West Edmonton, a group of counter-protesters took it on themselves to do it. The group identifying itself as members of the United We Roll movement faced off against the 30 or so protesters who set up the rail blockade before they tore it down. Trains were moving again along that line by 3 p.m. Alberta time.
4: This stuff needs to stop. I don't know why the government's not doing nothing, RCMP's not doing nothing, police aren't doing anything, I will. I was hoping this would last a day, maybe.
1: And a new poll, as I mentioned earlier, conducted exclusively for Global News, finds a growing majority of Canadians oppose the blockades. For more on that, we'll bring in Keith Baldry. Keith, for the first time in what seems like a long time, British Columbians and Albertans actually appear to agree on something here. Yeah,
5: according to our pollster, Ipsos, uh, British Clemens and Albertans uh, is where the uh, biggest uh, uh, opposition is to these blockades, and quite... uh contrast to the rest of the country, opposition is quite high in B.C. and Alberta. Now, across the country, here are the national numbers from Ipsos. Take a look at this. 61% disagree with protesters shutting down roads and rail corridors. That gap seems to be widened from an Angus Reid poll just a week ago. Um, opposition seems to be mounting. Also, 53% uh, want police uh, to move in and get involved in, in the blockade. So you don't see that huge appetite yet for police involvement, but a majority seem to want the police to get involved. And this is where it also gets interesting. Nobody's doing a good job getting the public on side. Just 34% side with the government and coastal gas link in this uh, this protest and and, uh, controversy, but even fewer people side with the indigenous communities on this. Just 27% side with the hereditary chiefs and the protesters. And finally, it's sort of a pox on both their houses. 39% uh, think neither side holds the higher ground here, Chris. So public opinion seems to be hardening a bit against the protesters by no means the landslide in terms of public opinion. Uh, Not so Surprisingly, the issue of blockades, the the, uh, stuff of debate in all sorts of legislatures across the country, including here in Victoria. Here's a sample of what happened in QP today on this issue. Right now there are activist organizations that want to keep indigenous people below the poverty line through misinformation and manipulation. Nobody's gone to meet with these elected bank councils to hear their story. Illegal protests are aimed at shutting down opportunities that my band has fought for since 2004. My question is to the Environment Minister, will he denounce the eco-colonialist actions of these radical groups and get Canada back on track? Nobody
1: on this side of the House supports illegal demonstrations or blockages. We have made that clear. And the police are doing their job on that.
5: So the economic impact of these blockades is starting to be felt big time. It's costing the Canadian economy about $450 million a day in lost economic activity. And today, Via Rail, for the first time, issued layoff notices, temporary ones, to almost 1,000 of their employees. We don't know when they're going to be back to work. Via Rail at a virtual standstill across the country. They've opened up some operations in parts of Ontario and, and uh, between Ottawa and Montreal. But uh, for the first time in their history, uh, they've had to lay off a lot of people. And finally, one more thing I want to about, Chris. Tomorrow, uh, there's an expected phone call between Justin Trudeau, the uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and Canada's premiers. The premiers today had a conference call. Uh, they couldn't agree on exactly what strategies to embark on, but they want to have a conversation with the Prime Minister. It's not confirmed yet, but we expect that conversation to
1: occur sometime tomorrow. All right, and we'll report on the contents of it. Thanks very much. Uh, Keith Baldry reporting in Victoria for us. Now, an update tonight on the extradition hearing for an infamous fugitive. After a two-year Canada-wide manhunt, Brendan Teixeira was arrested in Northern California in December. He's currently behind bars at a county jail in Sacramento. And that's where our Sarah McDonald is covering that story for us. Sarah, when can Teixeira expect to face a judge?
6: He is scheduled to face a judge here next week in a status hearing that we expect will see him granted extradition back to Canada to face a string of charges. For months now, one of Canada's most wanted fugitives has been confined to a cell behind the walls of this Sacramento jail. Brandon Teixeira, who dodged authorities internationally for more than two years, still waiting to face a federal judge in California court.
7: If you're being hunted by... Uh, uh, the entire uh, nation of Canada uh, hiding out in rural Northern California uh, probably seemed like a pretty good idea.
6: The alleged killer finally captured at the end of a winding dirt road in a high risk takedown. On this isolated property last December, where we now know Tashara had been hiding out for months.
7: When we spoke to the Canadian authorities, uh, they uh, cautioned us and said that if he had an opportunity to escape uh, he would take that
6: with his suspect having a history of escaping arrest the local county sheriff brought back up not one but two swat teams and the u.s marshal service
7: the plan was to uh, go to that location early in the morning under the cover of darkness Uh, we had enough personnel and uh, armored vehicles in place uh, to uh, ensure that he wouldn't be able to escape
6: But it didn't stop him from trying, according to police.
7: He initially came out. He had his hands raised in the air and he was smoking a cigarette. And at one point, uh, he reaches up, uh, apparently takes a last drag of a cigarette, uh, flicks it aside, and then runs to a vehicle, jumped into that vehicle, uh, put it into uh, drive, uh, accelerated forward, uh, trying to get between one of our armored vehicles and another vehicle's there. They ordered him to get out of the vehicle. Uh, He was refusing to do that. So at that point, we deployed one of our canines. He had escaped from uh, Canadian authorities uh, the last time they attempted to take him into custody. Uh, And it was a pretty dramatic fashion from what I understood.
6: Teixeira is facing a string of serious charges on Canadian soil, including attempted and first-degree murder in the 2017 shooting death of an associate in Surrey. Allegedly motivated, according to court documents, by revenge and a six-figure contract to kill.
1: It would be nice to have some sort of closure to it.
6: And ultimately arrested at a residence harboring not only a fugitive, but a large cache of narcotics, according to American authorities.
7: He'd be looking somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 years, mandatory term.
6: Enough hard drugs to warrant hard time on federal charges, if tried and convicted. But that likely won't be happening. He
7: is looking at first-degree murder in Canada, which is a much heavier case.
6: The elusive alleged killer who once fled the country now expected to ask to be returned. Opting to face Canadian justice instead, with nowhere to hide this time. And not much freedom, as you might expect, while he is behind bars. Teixeira will be transferred in full shackles to his hearing next Thursday. If and when he is granted extradition, he'll be handed over to Canadian authorities, who will then be tasked with coming here to California to escort him back to Canada.
1: That's Sarah McDonald reporting for us. And we have an extended, detailed interview with the sheriff involved in Teixeira's dramatic takedown. It's on our website, globalnews.ca/bc. Check that out. Closing arguments wrapped up today in the trial of the young man who killed a Vancouver couple in their own home. And once again, a warning, some of the details are disturbing. The Crown pressing its case that Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam planned the murders of Richard Jones and Diana Ma Jones and rejecting the defense theory that Cam believed he was in a video game at the time. Romina Dea reports.
8: The random killings of Diana Ma Jones and her disabled husband Richard Jones by a complete stranger with no criminal history terrorized Vancouverites for weeks. What was the motive? His motive is clear, said Crown Counsel Daniel Mulligan. He wanted to experience killing someone. In the process, he prolonged and clearly relished
9: the experience. But at least say you're sorry. Sorry. For what? You're an animal. Rocky
8: Rambo Waynam Cam, now 27, displayed a complete lack of empathy, Crown said, in the final day of closing arguments. Mulligan told the court, Cam has not been diagnosed with a mental or internet gaming disorder. Adding the murders were carried out in a controlled and methodical manner, planned and deliberate with execution style injury. Therefore, Cam should be convicted on two counts of first degree murder. Cam had been consumed by violent video games for much of his life. Defence counsel Glenn Orris says Cam thought he was in a video game when he slashed Jones, 68, who used a walker more than 100 times and cut the throat of Ma Jones, 64, in the couple's home in September 2017. On Tuesday, defense closed its case, saying the appropriate verdict is manslaughter because Crown has not proven murder beyond a reasonable doubt. Madam Justice Giroux will deliver her verdict on April 3rd. Ramina Dea, Global News.
1: There have been no new cases of COVID-19 detected in B.C. in the past week. And one of the province's five coronavirus patients has now been given a clean bill of health. Catherine Urquhart has the latest.
9: Worldwide, more than 75,000 people have now been infected with COVID-19, and more than 2,100 have died. And while there's no end in sight to the outbreak, in Canada, some positive news is emerging.
8: Our first case here in British Columbia has fully recovered, and as of the weekend, we had our second negative test, so he is uh, um, considered cured.
9: BC's second, third, and fourth cases are asymptomatic. The fifth person does have symptoms and continues to recover. In Japan, most of the 256 Canadians on board the Diamond Princess are expected to fly back to Canada Friday, except for the 47 with symptoms, who will remain in Japan.
8: A number of Canadians are are both uh, affected by coronavirus and are in hospital in Japan, and a number of of people who are not um, infected will be looking at coming home.
9: Once back on Canadian soil, they'll be isolated for two weeks in Cornwall, Ontario. In addition, 20 people who were on board a Westerdam cruise ship that docked in Cambodia are back in B.C. and remain in self-isolation. This after someone on board that boat was diagnosed with the virus. As for the more than 400 people who were airlifted from Wuhan, China, their two week quarantine ends within days.
8: Nobody has tested positive for the virus um, in Trenton, and that when these people finish the quarantine period, um, they will be free and clear.
9: Kaffiner Cart,
8: Global News.
1: Or breaking news. We want to return to our top story and protesters that were blocking East Broadway are now on the move. They are on Clark and heading north. Grace Key is following the demonstrators. Uh, Where where are they heading, Grace?
3: Yeah, they just started moving again. So they were just on the intersection there of uh, Broadway and Clark there for a while. And now they are walking north on Clark here. So... A rough estimate, maybe around a couple hundred or so of the protesters are here. So again, they are. Originally, we're just at uh, Broadway and commercial at about 5 o'clock this afternoon. Now TransLink did have a court order late this afternoon. Uh, Oh, just watch it behind you, sorry. We are trying to walk behind and try to move and do this at the same time. But yeah, TransLink did have a court order uh, preventing the protesters from blocking and interfering with any of the Sky Trains. Now none of the protesters we saw were actually uh, tried to go into any of the Sky train stations There was a very large police presence, as you can imagine, as well, and police here trying to keep up with them and kind of blocking off, I'd say, a block or two in each direction of traffic and detouring everyone as well. So, again, uh, that court injunction, by the way, did not include any of the streets, so obviously traffic and the buses have been impacted here.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Clark is going to be a major problem for a while, and it looks like they're heading north towards First Avenue, so keep that in mind. We'll check in with Grace a little bit later on and, and see exactly where the demonstrators are heading. Okay, crime statistics now. They are in for the city of Vancouver from last year. The good news is major violent crimes are down, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, property crime continues to rise, and in some cases, significantly.
4: The estimated street value of these drugs is into the several
2: millions of dollars. Vancouver police proudly announcing a drug bust and seizure. But less than an hour later, police releasing some less flattering news. Crime in the city is up, and no one from the VPD available to comment until Thursday. Property crime in the city is spiraling upward. While home break-ins are down 10%, Theft from business is 21% higher in 2019. And theft from auto up for the ninth straight year. Things are kind of so hard for people on the streets to you know, get help or get you know, have food in their belly or anything like that. So, of course, they're going to resort to breaking a window in a car. The stats don't surprise business groups in the city.
7: We've raised these issues uh, with both the police, uh, the attorney general, and the solicitor general. And they all understand that this is an issue that requires their attention.
2: There is some good news. Sex assaults, bank robberies and murders are all down. But violent assaults have spiked by 11.2 percent, leading to a surge in overall crime of 7.2. For months, Global News has been covering drug-fueled theft and violence. In Strathcona... And on the downtown east side, the situation made worse by the tent city in Oppenheimer Park.
10: Those are some stories that have been a little more public and a bit more in the public eye. But we do continue to get calls each week um, regarding the impact of uh, property crime to our members.
2: The VPD do plan to talk about the numbers Thursday, 24 hours after releasing them
1: quietly to the public. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And more details are being released about the intermunicipal business license for ride-sharing operators. The licenses will be administered by Vancouver City Hall, and as Ted Chernecki reports, if several major stumbling blocks can be smoothed over, it'll be in force in as many as 25 municipalities. <laughs>
0: Vancouver City Hall is giving birth to a whole new bureaucracy. Starting April Fool's Day, bureaucrats will start issuing regional ride-sharing licenses. They'll be valid in up to 25 different municipalities in the Lower Mainland, depending on how many city councils agree to get on board. And there will be fees to pay administrative costs.
11: The fee is
9: $155 for a company like Uber or Lyft, and then for every vehicle, there's a $100 charge. If you have a zero-emission vehicle... In the city of Vancouver, that charge will be zero. And if you have an accessible vehicle, that also will be zero.
0: The city of Syria has already said it will support a regional license, but only if there's also a cap on how many ride-sharing licenses are granted. And taxi companies have been given the right to operate beyond their current boundaries.
12: The decision on boundaries is up to the Passenger Transportation Board. They have indicated they're going to be looking at this in, in the future, but haven't indicated when that will be.
0: As for the taxi industry wanting a cap on the number of ride-sharing licenses, the minister says that too is up to the Passenger Transportation Board. With the issues of boundaries and fleet size still unclear, it is unknown if cities like Burnaby and Surrey will sign on to the region-wide licensing scheme. But that's not stopping today's announced program.
12: The Independent Passenger Transportation Board knows that the boundary issue continues to be one that is uh, divisive within the, within the industry. Some people in the taxi industry want to keep boundaries, some don't want to have boundaries. Uh, they're well aware of that and I know they're also very well aware that we've had a huge appetite for ride hail and it's still working through 20 applications.
0: The decision on whether to accept the regional ride-sharing license proposal as outlined today goes before Surrey and Vancouver councils next week. Ted Sinecki, Global News.
1: BC Ferries christened its two newest vessels today, and while they won't be on any of the major routes, they are being described as the future of the fleet. And there was a special ferry enthusiast on hand for today's big event. Brad McLeod explains.
12: With the break of some bubbly, the first two hybrid electric BC Ferries have names. Island Discovery and... Island or... Wait for it. Aurora. They're the uh, really the future of our fleet. One of these costs about $40 million and are said to be quieter and cleaner than existing vessels. These are the first two of an eventual six hybrids to join the ferry's fleet. The island discovery will replace the ferry between Powell River and Texada Island, the island aurora will service port mcneil alert bay sointula then by 2022 two more will service campbell river and quadra island and another pair will go between nanaimo harbor and gabriola island the 47 car capacity matches existing routes but will double loads in others built in europe they are now being finished off in victoria's point hope shipyards stakeholders were given a tour of the new island class ships from where the captain sits to deep inside the engine room, showing off the diesel generator, which powers the batteries, then...
13: This is the electric drive motor that drives the thrusters that drive the ship.
12: They'll run about 20% of the time on battery, uh, but the long-term plan is to be all batteries. But not until infrastructure is in place. That could take another 5 to 10 years. If This is one of the drive shafts. I- Someone who is very stoked is to get a sneak peek, this young man. He builds... Uh, model ferries to scale which is definitely a good hobby of mine. (laughs) Joshua Young got a special invite to the event and will soon add to his creative creations.
11: I've taken so many pictures
12: and I'm ready to build the next one. (laughs) They'll be in downtown Victoria for a couple more months. The first hybrid ferry will go into service mid-May, then the second in June. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria.
1: All right, we're going to check in once again on the breaking news situation that's happening in Vancouver right now. A large crowd of protesters which originally blocked traffic at Broadway and Commercial, then moved down to Broadway and Clark, is now rolling north on Clark, and they're at another very busy intersection and blocking that, too, at Clark and First Avenue. We'll check in again with Grace Key, who is there in amongst the crowd. Grace, still on the move.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we're just here on Clark and they are continuing to head uh, north on Clark. It looks like they could be making their way uh, to first and then possibly uh, turning along there. It's unclear right now. So they did originate on Broadway and commercial at about five o'clock this afternoon. They did stop there on Broadway and Clark for a little while and then started heading down here on Clark. So. The police, of course, have been uh, going along with them, uh, traveling with them along the way, and uh, detouring traffic as they continue to be on the move here.
1: And you've spoken to some of the people who are marching there, Grace. Uh, obviously, they're, they're marching in sympathy with the Wet'suwet'en. Is is that what you're hearing? and, and how are they defending what they're doing there?
3: Yeah, they have. uh, That's they did make that uh, uh, some speeches earlier on, just before they were marching. So they did talk about that, of course, uh, as well. Uh, So this is obviously part of the uh, protest that we have been seeing going on just around all across the country here. So they originally were talking about uh, meeting there at the intersection of Broadway and Commercial, and obviously there were some concerns with TransLink late this afternoon. They did have a court injunction that did prevent people from interfering with any of the SkyTrain operations.
1: I'm sure you weren't planning a one-mile march with them tonight when you showed up at work, Grace, but we appreciate (laughs) it. They are heading along Clark, uh, and if they keep going north, they're going to end up right at the port where they have been uh, demonstrating many other times uh, over the past several weeks. So we'll check in with Grace a little bit later on and and keep an eye on the uh, protest as it marches along north on Clark. But of course, Stay away from that area if you are driving. Uh, it is obviously blocked by protesters. All right, let's check in on what is a gorgeous evening here on the South Coast. Christy Gordon is in North Vancouver at the Shipyard's Ice Rink. A perfect night for a skate. Christy.
10: Sure is Chris. Uh, they've transformed this area in the Lower Lonsdale region with new restaurants and all sorts of things. I want to introduce you to Mayor Linda Buchanan. Come on in here. Uh, this is really neat. I mean, First year running that you've put in an ice rink. In the summertime there's activities too. Tell us about what it's meant for the community.
3: Well, this, it's been outstanding. Uh, this has been a 25 year transformation and the Shipyard Commons where we're standing is the last piece of the puzzle that we have done over the last 25 years and have gotten to that critical mass where just this is just an amazing commercial and community amenity space.
10: It really brings families together. In the summertime, you transform this into a water park, which is super popular too.
3: Uh, We opened July 20th of last year, and instead of cutting a ribbon, we turned on the water. And so, yes, it is amazing. Um, the, the, The mounds that you see are actually shaped like a fleet of ships that are going out to sea, and they all spray the water. So, yeah, it's a hub of activity for families.
10: That's amazing. Well, I'm going to put on my skates in a second here. Thank you so much for joining us here. Mayor Linda Buchanan, thank you. Uh, it's open right through until March 1st, uh, 12 until 7 daily, and it's free. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit. Thank you so Thanks. much. Bye. Back to you, price? Chris.
1: One of the items in yesterday's provincial budget has taken its inspiration from a program that's proven successful in the United States. BC is getting a pair of so-called navigation centers to help the homeless. Jordan Armstrong has more on what they do and how they've worked out in California.
13: If B.C. has a homelessness crisis, then California... Any and everywhere you go, in and out of stores, homeless, homeless, homeless... ...has a catastrophe. So the Golden State is trying pretty much anything and everything to get a handle on it.
3: This pilot project is aimed at people living on the streets.
13: In San Francisco, they've come up with this. It's called a navigation center, and it's not a traditional shelter.
5: The navigation center is designed to be a very impactful,
12: dynamic, and a brief residential experience.
13: Ten Bay Area navigation centers Have opened in the last five years. They allow people to bring possessions, pets, and partners into a 24 7 shelter, one with food on demand. If you're hungry, go eat. And support services such as health care, employment, and long term housing, all available on site.
9: We still have people on our streets, in our ravines, on sidewalks, and we want to make sure that we can provide them with the supports, and the navigation centers are part of that solution.
13: In Tuesday's budget, the Horgan government committed to two 60-bed navigation centers. Locations have not been chosen yet, but it's safe to assume one will be in or near the downtown east side. So This is one of five shelter spaces that we have. We have 72 beds. Vancouver's current shelters, like the Union Gospel Mission, provide a bed for up to 30 days, but only at night. If B.C.'s navigation centers follow the San Francisco model, a bed will be available up to three months. And round the clock. We
12: support this and we, th- we know from our experience that tactics like this work. And that's great. It's definitely a missing part of the puzzle.
13: But he adds a bridge between homelessness and permanent affordable housing will only work if the latter exists. We can't also lose sight of the long-term um, solution. We need
1: more affordable housing. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. want to return to our top story and this continuing developing story with a group of protesters blocking traffic and on the move along Clark Drive. So we'll check in again with Grace Key, who is among the crowd. And we just heard a bit of a dispute, a heated argument between a protester and a driver. Can you give us the recap, Grace?
3: Yeah, so as you can imagine, uh, drivers here were not happy. You can see right behind me here, traffic is once again moving just on east first, but uh, it was stopped uh, for quite a distance there. And there was uh, one female driver who was obviously not happy at all. She said she identified herself. She said she was... uh, First Nations. She had uh, the rather heated argument with one of the uh, protesters here about what was going on and she felt that it was not uh, it was more affecting everyday people than it was uh, people who were actually making decisions. So it was uh, a rather heated argument that the two were having. The group though has now moved uh, let's look and see where we are in East First Avenue and they've actually gone uh east on east first uh just from clark is where we were and so they are continuing to travel there east it looks like they may be making their way back to their original location on uh, broadway and commercial possibly dispersing after that but uh, we're going to keep up with them here
1: okay thanks very much for the update uh grace and and obviously we'll have more of that confrontation between the driver and the protester uh, online and on the news at 11 tonight in our following broadcast. Uh, we'll uh, check in now with Christy, who's over on the North Shore on a beautiful night to be out for a skate. And uh, I hope you've got the old cheese cutters on there, Christy. It looks like it.
10: Uh- I do. I'm worried that I'm gonna fall. I have to cross traffic here, Chris. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> sorry. You uh, know what but you're this doing. is really phenomenal. There's music playing, there's uh, fireplaces that you can warm up on the side. And uh, it really is fun down here with lots of lights. All right, it was a beautiful day all across the Lower Mainland. I'm so thankful I didn't fall. Here's a look at Campbell River there on a frosty morning. Thank you to Deb Smith for that great shot and we've got more photos. One from Richmond showing the snow geese and also up through Fort St. John they had a high on ice festival where you can see some incredible ice sculptures. Big white phenomenal skiing today and it's going to get cold tonight. I can already feel the chill in the air here down at the shipyard. So a bit of a wind chill minus five for Metro Vancouver but it does mean sunshine again tomorrow. Tomorrow. North Coast you'll see periods of rain, terrace two to four centimeters of snow before it changes over to rain, but most other areas sunshine. Now we may see some valley fog or sorry cloud in through the Columbia and the Kootenai region possibly in some of the Thompson area, but it should be sunny higher up, and we'll see a bit of fog in through our region. Cold to start with, but sunshine again in the afternoon, and then increasing cloud expected on Friday, and I'll show you our beautiful weather window for tonight. a Centra Windows weather window. I'll look back at 2010, of course. Isn't that a nice warm shot? But it's sort of making me feel a little bit like 2010 here, although it's much colder than when it was uh, <laughs> back then. It, most people were in T Shirts, but this really is fun, and again, it's free and it's open right through until March 1st. Chris, back to you.
1: All that's missing is a big cool. hug from Quachi, right, Christy? It's good. All right, Squires here with sports, no yes. traffic, just hockey at the moment. People
14: can get in the game? Yep. They're not blocking the exit, the right. entrances? Okay, good. Uh, three days after a surprising loss to the Anaheim Ducks, the Canucks are back to work tonight. Uh, it did give Tyler Toffoli some extra practice time with his new team. But this new team has struggled a bit of late. Of course, they lost to Anaheim, and a week ago, they beat Chicago in a game that, quite frankly, if it wasn't for Jacob Markstrom, they would have lost. Because of the way they've played lately and the way the other teams have played around them, they are right now not in first place.
4: You know, the way we played... um no it isn't good enough it's not the standard that we've set for ourselves and um you know by everyone and so um you know those games unfortunately do happen sometimes and it's about responding and we have to respond tonight with a with a big uh with a big effort in the, in the way that we've played you know throughout the year um and building our game so we got to get back on track and uh it's a fun time of year to to be playing and to be doing that in i think we're all aware that it's going to be tight but i don't see the point of just sitting around staring at them all day and stressing out and You know, putting too much pressure on yourself, you know, for the last 23 games. It's going to be a long 23 games if you're thinking, like, every game's a must win. You know, we just got to play our game, worry about today. You know, it's easy to get caught up in that stuff. But at the same time, you just got to play, um, have a lot of confidence. Got to be able to move on quickly this time of year because the games fly by. And before you know, it's going to be the beginning of April. So.
14: And the game tonight, of course, is the Canucks in Minnesota at Rogers Arena. And it'll be the first time in a long time that Dean Evason will be a head coach in a game in Vancouver, he used to be the head coach of the Vancouver Giants, but he moved up to the pros, and because of Bruce Boudreau recently getting fired in Minnesota, Evason finally has been given a chance to run an NHL team.
5: The road to becoming an NHL head coach has been a long one for Dean Evason. Each step you're watching right now equates to every year Dean's either spent in junior, the minors, or behind an NHL bench paying his dues. That's 21 years and counting. For a while, maybe a guy just gets labeled as a really good assistant coach and yeah. you just stay in there and get pigeonholed that way.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's what my coaching goal was as a player. My goal was to, to, to play in the NHL. I was so fortunate to have that opportunity. My goal as a coach was to uh, um, to be a head coach in the NHL. And, um, you know, I've coached one one game in the NHL, and now it's... Day by day and game by game, we'll see uh, see what happens.
5: Everson cut his coaching teeth in the junior ranks. He spent six seasons as the head coach for the Vancouver Giants, Kamloops Blazers, and Calgary Hitmen. From there was off to the Washington Capitals, where he spent seven years as an assistant to Bruce Boudreaux. Dean went from the show to the minors to once again be the bench boss. That tour of duty lasting seven seasons before once again coming back to the NHL. And as the saying goes, once a coach, always a coach.
4: It's been wonderful. I mean, I, I spoke about it the other day that uh, once you get in that position, once you've been in it, it's it, it literally is like riding a bike. I mean, you just kind of fall back into, into it. And I mean, there's some things that you have to go back and watch and, you know, your your changes and, and stuff like that and, uh, you know, people that you have on the ice. But uh, but it's a uh, it's it's a good feeling. It's it's a really good feeling.
1: Gives it to a, a right side slap shot. Everybody score, Dean
6: Everson!
4: Is it tougher making the show as a player or as a head coach? Well, it hurt more as a, as a player. That's for sure. Um, hey, and both are similar. Like you just you you do what you you, th- you think's right um, on a daily basis and. You try to learn from every single experience that uh, that you've had. Um, for me, from you know, coaching, from watching my coaches as a player, uh, from coaching junior to coaching the American Hockey League to being an assistant coach in the NHL, you hopefully I've done the right things to learn from every single experience.
14: Well, the Canucks are certainly hoping Boston wins this game. The Bruins will be here on Saturday. They're taking on the Oilers in Edmonton. First period, the only goal so far. Patrice Bergeron with the move and the pass from Brad Marchand. one nothing for the Bruins over the Oilers. The Kelowna Rockets have fired head coach Adam Foote. Chris Millett will take over on the interim basis. Foote started with the Rockets in 2018. Overall, he was one game below 500. They weren't playing that well this year. Of course, he was an outstanding defensive defenseman in the NHL, won two Stanley Cups and also an Olympic gold medal with Canada at the 2002 Olympics. Firing him at this moment is a big move considering Kelowna in late May will be hosting the Memorial Cup. And at the uh, Scotties... BC's record right now is four and three.
1: Mm. All right. All right. Let's see if they make it through. Thank you very much, Squire. The BC Home and Garden Show kicking off today at BC Place. Our Michael Newman is there with two home Reno experts, and you'll recognize them from HGTV. Michael? That's right. Still here at the Home and Garden Show opening night, and um, I'm here with two gentlemen who are very familiar with Home and Gardening Upgrades, Mickey and Sebastian from Worst to First, HGTV. Um, first of all, it's always good to see you guys because you're busy, yeah. um, and so tell me about what, what you guys, are good, you're giving a speech or uh, giving a talk here at the Home and Garden Show. Tell me what it's about and how you're feeling about the show. Yeah. We'll be talking at four o'clock, February
12: 22nd and we're gonna be talking about homes I mean you're here about your homes and we want to tell you about how you can get on the show if you don't want all the responsibilities that you need when (laughs) renovating
1: and so I want to mention you guys are homegrown from Vancouver started flipping houses here how cool is it to have a a show like the home and garden show here to learn about what to do to make that make that happen make it a possibility
12: well it's actually super cool because I mean Mickey and I we've been coming to this show since we were kids with our with our parents with our family and to be actually presenting here Mm -hmm. I mean it's a it's a big honor. It's pretty cool, right, to be in the BC place, but but also to be contractors in Vancouver and mm-hmm. to know a lot of the trades that are here. And, you know, everything you need for a home is here. Yeah, so, totally. If you right. need
1: something? Come down. All right. Well, there are resident experts here. Um, good luck with the rest of the show. I love the show. I know yeah. a lot of people at home do. And um, come on down to the Home and Garden Show. we send it back to you.
10: All right, you skiers, here's your snow report for tonight. Not a lot of new snow, but picture-perfect bluebird days and nice and mild across the South Coast mountains. Manning Park, Revelstoke, Fernie and Kicking Horse, no new snow, but they should see also picture-perfect bluebird days once again tomorrow and again on Friday. As for Big White and Sun Peaks, one centimeter of new snow, just enough to keep things fresh. Mount Washington, nothing new, but nice and mild at two degrees, whitewater one centimeter.
1: Another fun look back 2010, and yes, those red mittens.
14: Yeah, if you wanted to be in fashion 10 years ago, your hands had to be red. (laughs) Check it out. The red mittens were the most popular souvenir at the 2010 Olympics. They sold over 3 million of them. But the idea for the red mittens first came from an entry in the contest to make a logo for the
11: 2010 games. Among the concepts, again, there was uh, this theme of winter sport, winter play, and and we saw red mittens. And we were like, this doesn't feel quite right for the logo, um, but let's tuck that in the back of our, our brains for later.
14: Later turned out to be the torch relay where the mittens first appeared. But before that, Hudson's Bay had to be convinced to make them part of their Olympic apparel. And HBC didn't actually like the idea. They didn't see the ability to sell red mittens. You know, there'd been no market proof that mittens would sell. But they became the must-have clothing item of the 2010 Games. The mittens are wonderful.
11: But not just in Canada. I mean, it was, it was, they were on Oprah at some point. It was, was probably, she was probably the best product endorser on the planet at the time. Not only do I
0: have the mittens, but everybody in our studio audience... Is saying,
1: <laughs> that became one of the huge retail successes, and a big part of the sales of those mittens went to the On The Podium program.
14: We raised $15 million for sport. $15 million that never would have existed otherwise. There was another surprise success for Van Ock. When they hired a local company to design three mascots, the same company that created the Octonauts' TV show,
11: they suggested having a fourth character. She also added these sidekicks Muk Mukmuk, the little Vancouver Island marmot, which we had never asked for a sidekick, but that was, that was one of them. And and mukmuk ends up being like the cult favorite. Everyone loved mukmuk. It became apparent that we needed to actually produce a stuff, stuffy of mukmuk, which we had not planned on doing. <laughs> and so, yeah, went, as soon as it was available again at the bay, it was just like unbelievable how, how many were sold.
14: So, a cartoon marmot and $10 mittens produced Olympic size money for Van Ock.
1: I think we were over $600 million of Olympic merchandise that was sold over the course of the planning and through the Games, so important part of funding the Games as well. Should have invested in red mittens ten years ago, we'd uh, be flush. Good memories for sure. We're going to end on a shot of the protesters, they are still on commercial drive, moving north, north from First Avenue. We'll continue to follow their progress, but obviously major traffic disruptions in vancouver stay tuned for a lot more tonight on the news at eleven thanks for watching